Well, as Jen said, uh, we are beginning a new series called Parenthood. And let me just say at the very beginning, I am not an expert, okay? I am not an expert on this, but I try to read a lot of books on parenting. And also, uh, I've found that the greatest book to help you in your parenting skills is actually this book right here, uh, the Bible. And for some of you, uh, you are very uh, technologically gifted. And so when you walked in today, we have a little handout for you uh, called the Version Bible app. I have no idea how to do this, but uh, I'm sure many of you do. And it's a great Bible app. It can give you uh, whole Bible reading plans for different areas, and the one that we're going to be doing this week deals with parenting. So if you turn on the back, it'll say, planting lifelong skills in your kids, and then there'll be uh, some things that you can connect with that. So would strongly encourage you to get that app, however you do that. Uh, and then uh, at the resource table, if you're like, I'm not, com- if you're like me, if you're a computer challenge. Uh, go to the resource table. We have it all printed out for you. Now, I believe that everybody who is here who is a parent or a grandparent or someday in the future you might be a parent, if you had your choice, you would want to raise children who are healthy and whole and confident and full of life and who love God. The only problem is is that the world is often confused when it comes to this area of parenting. And in a lot of ways, they give bad advice. On one hand, they say that to be a good parent, what you should do is keep your children away from the culture and the world. That you should remove them. Put them in a little bubble. Protect them like a mother hen. We call those control freaks, okay? On the other end of the spectrum, we have the hippie parents who are just like, I'm not going to tell them anything. This is just, you know, let them raise themselves. They'll be fine. You let your kids run wild. And parents are hands off. And do you know what you produce when you parent like that? Freaked out kids, you know, because they are freaked out all the time, and they're out of control. Recently, I heard from a dad uh, (laughs) who told me this. He had a three-year-old, and we were talking about parenting. He said, when our babies cry, I never go into his room. We go in there when we say it's time to go in there. Because if we start catering, To his whining now, we simply reinforce his manipulative behavior and we want to break his will. And I didn't say it out loud, but in my head I thought, you're an idiot. He's three months old. Pick him up. On the other hand, my mom loves to tell the story Uh, about a little kid that I grew up named Chris McDaniel. And one day, uh, my mom went to a Bible study that Chris's mom was putting on for some of the ladies uh, in the church. And when we got there, my aunt sat in a particular chair, and Chris went up and said, You need to get out of my chair. That's my chair. Get up. And Chris's mom actually said, It really is his chair, so would you mind getting up? And my aunt didn't have any other place to sit, so she sat on the floor. Let's just put it this way. Chris got beat up a lot as a kid, you know. He really did. He really did. Another example is I've seen families who are so protective of their kids, they they never let them watch television. They don't want them to watch it at all. But when these little kids go to their friend's house who have TV... They are like addicts. They're like, oh, give me some more, you know. And then we have parents on the other end. I'm sorry if I step on some toes this morning, but it's true. 
that they have children that are one or two or three or four years old and they have TVs in their rooms. And there's no limits. And there's no supervision. And they have free control of the remote control. So, I don't think we need a, you know, a kids are us kind of catalog to help us in this whole area of parenting. Kids are going to be kids. What we need are a parents are us catalog. And the best one that I've found is this book right here that you can pick up this catalog and you can learn how to become a better parent and the one that God has equipped you to be. Because God chose you to be the parent of your kids or your grandkids. Now, in doing this, I think there are four special skills that every parent or soon-to-be parent or one-day-to-be parent or grandparents should have. And the first one is this, that you need the parental ability to... uh, That's not it. That's the last uh, one. Here we go. Uh, The parental ability to build a strong self-esteem. That you want to build a strong self-esteem. One of the most important contributions that you can make into your child's life is to let them know that they really matter. That they matter to God, that they matter to you, that they matter to their church, that they matter to their family and their friends. That they're important, that they're unique, that they're one of a kind, that they're valuable, that they're irreplaceable, that they're worthy of respect, that their thoughts and their feelings and their doubts and all the questions that they have are important and that they are worthy to be loved and they are treasured. They are a treasure to you and to God. And any other way is wrong. It's dead wrong. Because building self-esteem, folks, is not some psychological mumbo-jumbo that you find in the self-help section of parenthood, but it is the key component to raising healthy kids. This week I read a a letter from an eight-year-old little boy named Robbie. He grew up in a household where he was not loved or valued very much. He grew up in a home in which his parents constantly were saying things like, you're no good, you're a bad kid, you're never going to amount to anything. And when his parents' marriage got real troubled and they began to fight and argue and finally they were ready to separate, as an eight-year-old, you just kind of naturally conclude that if you've had all those images, that it must be your fault. And so eight-year-old Robbie pulled out a letter and wrote to his parents, Dear Mom and Dad, I'm sorry that I make you unhappy. I'm sorry I'm bad. I'm sorry I'm no good. Maybe if I wasn't alive, Daddy, you would love Mommy. I'm so sorry. It's all my fault. So I'm going to die. I love you. Signed, Robbie. P.S. Teddy is with me. Because he loves me, even when I'm bad. He wrote this note in crayon, true story. He downed a whole bottle of aspirin. He clutched Teddy to his chest. And he laid down to die. Fortunately, Robbie was rescued. He received medical attention. And then he was committed to a psychiatric ward where he was there for a long, long time. Folks, what was really wrong with Robbie? I mean, the root of everything in his life, what was wrong with him? Nothing was wrong with Robbie. He just didn't think he mattered. He felt like he was an interruption. He felt like he was a problem. He felt like he had no self-esteem. He had no sense of worth. And he concluded in his mind that death was actually better 
than life. Parents, don't ever underestimate the desperate need that your children have, regardless of their age, of what they need to hear affirming. That they need to be valued. That they're treasured. Don't discount the importance of building self-esteem into your children, regardless of what age they are. And so this morning, I want to give you three self-esteem builders that you can work on and use this week. The first one is this, a word. A word. That's the next fill in there. Just a word. Words are extremely important to developing healthy kids. The Bible says this. Let's read this out loud together. It'll come up on the side screen. Kind words, let's say this out loud. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. I was talking to a couple of young women uh, a few weeks ago, and the topic of parenting came up. And one of them said, my parents never encouraged me when I was growing up. They just put me down. I felt really bad about that, and I thought for sure the other young woman would come in and say, hey, I'm sorry, or, you know, you know, that wasn't my experience or whatever. But just kind of nonchalant, she said, yeah, me too. And they went on talking about how kind words were just not a part of the family that they were raised in. And how only on like a birthday or a special occasion did they get those. Parents, say the words. Say them a hundred times. Say them five hundred times. Say them a thousand times. And then say them ten thousand times. Jason, I love you. Julie, you are so precious to me, I can't get over it. Mike, you're a great kid. You're my buddy. Heather, you've brought me more joy than I thought a human heart could ever receive. Matt, if I had to custom design a little kid and pick out everything in a son, I'd pick you. I'd always pick you. If we had to line up a billion little boys, I would pick you first every single day. Words are powerful. And kids never get tired of receiving affirming words. Almost every Sunday when I'm done here and I leave from this place, I usually have one of two feelings in me. Either one, I'm about ready to throw up. Or secondly... I feel so rejected like I just wasted all of your time. That's usually the top two feelings I have. Welcome to my world. And I go home and we have dinner and maybe we play with the kids for a little bit. We have the Sunday afternoon nap, which you have to have. And then about 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock, the phone rings. Almost like clockwork. And my dad will be on the other end. They'll say, Chris, that teaching today was awesome. That was wonderful. God really used you. And my mom will be in the background. John, tell him he did awesome. He did wonderful. And they'll just be telling me that my dad came to the first service. He's getting ready to leave. He said, man, you did great. You could do that every Sunday. And sometimes when I bomb and I'm feeling so bad, you know, my, my dad will be like, oh, you did, it's okay, it's no big deal. And my mom always says this, she's like, oh, honey, my dad was a pastor. She'd go, oh, honey, your father bombed much more than you ever did. <laughs> Only a mother, right? Only a mother. You know, folks, I'm 42 years old. And I still need affirmation. 
And I never get tired of my mom or my dad, like clockwork today, at 6 or 7 o'clock tonight, they'll pick up the phone and they'll say, way to go. I call it my cheerleading moment. Any of you remember what God the Father said to Jesus when Jesus was getting baptized? He's getting ready to start his public ministry. Three years ahead of him, teaching, preaching, healing, to the cross. There's only one ironic thing about the fact that before he gives these particular words I'm going to share with you, he hasn't done a single impressive thing. He didn't heal anybody. He didn't baptize anybody. He didn't preach any word. He didn't resurrect anyone from the dead. He had done nothing to receive these words. And the Scripture says that God the Father looked down as He was getting baptized and words from heaven said this, This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. What does God the Father have to be pleased with Him? He hasn't done anything. You know why He's pleased? Because it's His Son. And just because you have kids, you should be pleased alone that God has gifted you with them. Parents, you can always build self-esteem into your children with just a word. The second kind of self-esteem builder is a look. A look. Looks can be extremely powerful, can't they? Can't they? Let me give you a look. In the book of Psalms, very middle of the Bible, the psalmist says these words. Turn us to yourself, O God. Then what's it say? What? Look down on us in what? Joy and love. Now, why does the writer say that? Look down on us with joy and love. Why does he use those words? Because the reality is, folks, that's the way God looks at you all the time. He looks at you with joy and love. Not with disgust. Not with, oh my goodness, you're horrible. He looks down with joy and love. And the psalmist is just simply saying, hey, this is the way that God has looked all the time. He gives us looks from heaven of joy and love. And sometimes, like I said last week, I think that we have this image of God being this strict, rigid, inflexible, stubborn old man who's just always giving you nasty looks. That's not the image of the God of the Bible at all. Like I said last week, the image of the God of the Bible is of a dad who's sitting down and there is a child who comes up and sits on his lap and there's a look of love as he's holding that child. In fact, Jesus, when he prayed to his father, he used the word Abba, which means daddy. That's the look that, dad, that your dad gives to you. Your daddy hears your prayers. He understands. He loves you. Now, parents, here's something real practical, and I fall into this trap. So, confession across the board. Just raise your hand if you've ever done this before to your kids. They say something, do something, or whatever, and it is stupid. It is dumb. Or you think to yourself, I cannot believe you are from my DNA. And then you give them one of these looks called the rolling of the eyes. Anyone? Am I the only one? Okay. Folks, it's easy to roll your eyes. But you know what? It's just as easy to give a smile, to give encouraging eyes, looks that send love and joy, a message, a look that you give to your kids is a self-esteem builder. Looks give your kids a photograph in their mind for how they look at you and how they perceive you for 
the rest of their life. Just look at them now and then. Look at them. Give them delight, delight and warmth and affection. Looks are powerful. The third thing is a touch. You want a uh, powerful self-esteem builder? It comes to a touch. Now, I did a little uh, word study this week. And in the Gospels, the word Jesus and the word touch, when they're connected together in the same sentence, are used 16 times. So it's not one time. It's not two times. It's not six times. But 16 times, again and again, it says, Then Jesus came to them and touched them. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched them. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched them. In fact, the most dominant image that we ever have of Jesus having children around him is this scripture that says this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could what? Touch them and bless them. Now let me just say, parents and especially dads, especially dads, don't let a day go by that you do not show affection and love and you touch your children. If they're young, chase them around the house. Grab them. Hold them. When you're reading a book, rub their back. When you're watching Call of the Wild Man, give them a high five, you know? (laughs) My kids are addicted to Call of the Wild Man. In our household, we call them tickle fights. And because I'm the dad of the house, anytime I can call one, and I will call one, I'll say, tickle fight is on! And uh, Jordan and Shiloh, six and four, will run away. But you know what I found? They don't like to run very fast. They want to be caught. They want to be touched. They want to be tickled. And the only time we get in a fight is when I'm tickling one and the other one's like, Dad, you're not tickling me enough. And they'll go like this, straight up, you know. And then I tickle them and back and forth, touching, loving them, letting them know that they're wonderful. They always want to be caught. Always. Now, obviously, appropriate touching changes over the years. Right now, Jordan and I do this thing called the Whopper Kiss. We kiss each other on the lips. One has to be a fish. And the other one, after the kiss, goes Whopper, like that. Now, I guarantee in a couple years, when I'm going, hey, let's do a Whopper Kiss, she'll be like, see ya. Why don't you go to Burger King, you know? But parents, always, always bolster the self-esteem of your child, regardless of their age, giving them tender touches. Last summer I was uh, in a neighborhood, and I was driving around, and I looked, and I noticed that there was this man, and then like this teenage girl, and they were holding hands. And I'm driving by at first, and I'm kind of like, man, this is kind of weird, what's going on? So I kind of look around, and I look and notice that it was one of our drummers, Jeremy, and his daughter, Olivia. Olivia is a teenager. And they're holding hands. And she's looking up at her dad. And it was such a beautiful picture. And I thought, man, Jeremy's got it right. And then I pulled the car over and I prayed right then. God, when Jordan and Shiloh are teenagers, let them hold my hand, even if it's one day a week, you know? Nothing is more powerful in building self-esteem in our children than a word or a look or a touch. And I just think that maybe for some of you parents today, regardless of what age you're parenting, you need to turn it up a notch in one of those areas. The second parenting skill that raising healthy children is the parental ability to develop a sense of personal competence in your children. That you want to develop a sense of personal competence in your children. Not only do children need to know that they're worth something, 
But equally as important is that they can do some things. That there are some things that they can do. You see, self-esteem deals with value, but confidence deals with performance and ability. And healthy children need both. I get very concerned when I hear parents say something like this, Our adorable little Andrew was the greatest gift in our life. And we love him all the time. He's nine, and he can't read or write, and he's flunking out. He's going to have to get held back again. But we are reassuring him all the time that he is our little angel, and we treasure him more than he could ever know, regardless of how he performs in school. Now, when I hear that, I think to myself, little Andrew's going to have a really high self-esteem But in the not-too-distant future, he's not going to have enough competence to get his diploma because self-image doesn't deliver a diploma diploma on a silver platter. A good self-image alone is not going to secure you a job. It's not going to get you into trade school. It's not going to get you into college because a healthy self-image doesn't pay the rent. So somewhere along the line, parents have to integrate the understanding and the importance of putting competence into their children's lives. Somewhere along the way, the parents have to explain to the children that when you get into the real world, I don't care how much you think you can do everything, if you don't have some skills, you're not going to pay the bills, and you ain't going to make no money, and you're not living with me. I've written that for about age 16 for the girls. Now, I'm not talking about pushing your kids to the point of stress and exhaustion and anxiety that they're overachievers to the max. We call those traveling teens, you know. No one laughed at that, did they? Because that's what we do to our kids. I had this image this week that I do not want to sit And watch my kids. I want to be with my kids. There's a very difference, folks, in watching your kids do something and being with your kids. Because one day, you won't be with them. And it comes faster from other parents that I've heard than you think. So you better do stuff with them. But at the same time, I'm saying that parents... You've got to take time to train your kids and instruct them and inspire them and challenge them and coach them academically, athletically, mechanically, musically, artistically, whatever. Challenge them. Say, go take a risk. And if you try and fail, then try again. And gradually what happens is your kids get uh, inner satisfaction that only achievement provides. And eventually the child will be able to say to himself or herself, if I listen closely, if I practice hard, I can hang in there and I can do some things. I can do some stuff. I may not be the star of the team, but I'm a player. I can hold my own. And our kids need that kind of positive talk and sense of confidence in themselves to say, I can do it. At the beginning of this summer, our youngest daughter, Shiloh, uh, did swim lessons for the very first time, four years old. Now, I love my daughter. She's very cute. The only problem is she knows it. And when she gets to swim lessons, they have these high school kids that are teaching them. They're on swim teams. And she's so cute that she can manipulate them. Because she'll get in the water and she'll go, oh, it's so cold, it's so cold. And they'll say, oh, honey, I'll just hold you. And they feel great about that. And then they'll say, well, we're going to do bobs today. I want you to bob. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. And they'll go, oh, it's okay. And they'll just hold her. I spent $30 to watch someone else hold my kid. I didn't pay him to hold my kid. I taught him to teach my kid how to swim, but it just didn't happen. Well, finally... There was one of the skills she had to jump off the diving board. She just wasn't all into that whatsoever. And 
once swimming lessons were done and I could kind of be with her one-on-one, and when she'd go, Dad, but it's so cold, get down there, kid, you're up, you know. I said, Shiloh, you're big enough now. You can do this. I know you can jump off the diving board. And we started working on swimming. I'm like, you can do it. She's like, no, Dad, I can't do it. I'm like, no, you can do it. Finally, I encouraged her not to stand in line with all the other kids. And then she got up to the diving board. And she walked out to the end. I think we have a picture of her here. She gets to the end, and she looks over. She's like, well, I don't know. And I said, well, I'll get in the water, and I'll catch you. She's like, I don't know. And she, you know, multiple times she comes out to the edge, and she looks, and then she goes back and back and forth. And multiple times, multiple days that she does this. Finally, I'm like, you can do it. And there were words and looks. And finally, you see there that moment where she just jumped. And she could do it. And when her little face got up, she was so excited about the achievement that she had made. And I said, Shiloh, you did it. You were not afraid. You were awesome. And then we did it 30 more times that day. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm in the water like drowning. I'm like, honey, wife, Jennifer, come. She's like, oh, you got it. I'm going to, I'm going to snack stand, you know, or whatever. And I'm hoping and praying that my children, I'm going to give them hundreds of these. You can do it. Go for it. Challenge them. In a wide variety of ways, that over time they'll develop such a self-confidence to say to themselves, you know what, I can do some things. I've got some skills. I can think this problem through. Even if I'm scared or I'm afraid, I can do it. I can compete. I can hold my own. Don't ever underestimate the importance of developing a sense of confidence in your children. Challenge. The third thing is that you want to build into your kids is relational skills. Relational skills. You know, over the past 20 years, there has been this huge technological and information boom. I mean, we've grown more in the last 20 years than we did all of the years before in the history of the world. It's just, you know, it's just amazing what we can do. You can communicate with anyone, anywhere, at any time in the face of the earth. And it's not just a phone or a text, but now you can do this FaceTime thing where you're talking to them and all that kind of stuff. You can do anything. From outer space, you can do that. It's amazing. And yet, during the same amount of time in these last 20 years, we have steadily grown worse in our ability to build human relationships that are strong and effective and loving. Relationships are falling apart at the seams. And our children don't even know how they work. Fragmented families, chaotic home lives, video gaming, smartphones, television, computers, Facebook, Twitter, all of these social medias coming together and we are producing relationally inept children. Children who cannot discern how they're really feeling on the inside, much less communicate their feelings to others. Children incapable of knowing a positive or negative emotion and how to deal with it constructively. Children who don't have any idea of how important that even when a relationship breaks down, that you can deal with it in a healthy way. You know how they deal with it? They put it out on Facebook that someone's a jerk or worse words than that. And we resolve it or we text and we say, that's it. In short, we're raising a whole generation of young people who don't have a clue how to have a healthy relationship. Which is, you know, partially why so many of our young people are becoming sexually active at unthinkable ages. Because when they're with members of the opposite sex, They don't know how to communicate and have healthy relationships, so they just do what they feel. They've never learned how to have conversations. They don't know how to ask questions and get answers and build a foundation. They don't know how to go about fixing a relationship 
when it's broken. They're lacking relational skills. And record numbers of our kids are numbing themselves with a screen or sedating themselves with substance abuse or compromising themselves in sexual ways that have scars that last them a lifetime. I read a study this week just when it comes to screen time. A Kaiser study. Children between the age of 8 and 18, on average, this is just on average, on average, they spend 7.5 hours looking at a screen. Phones, computers, televisions. And most of them now, they're multitaskers, aren't they? They have their phone, they're watching this, they're texting this, you know, and it's all without a human in the room. Parents, now more than ever, you have to model relationship skills because kids are not prepared without them. Now, let me give you a couple practical examples. First of all, get into the habit of asking questions of your kids by trying to determine and force them to share their feelings. So you ask questions that help them to understand what they feel, what they feel. For instance, instead of saying, how did the math test go, Joe? You ask them, how did it feel to get a C minus? Or how did it feel to get a B plus? Were you happy with it? Did you like it? Was it good? Was it bad? Did you feel embarrassed when you shared it with your friends? Instead of asking Sally, you know, hey Sally, how was school today? What answer do you get when you say, how, how was school today? Fine. I would say, Sally, what's going on in your friendships at school? Do your friends make you feel good? Do they make you feel bad? Is there somebody that you find it hard to kind of like? And how does that feel? Do you like school right now? Do you hate it? Do you feel frustrated by it? Convince them that you really want to hear what they feel about. Now let me just say this. When you start doing this, don't expect that immediately, especially if you have a teenager, they're going to be like, well, I've been waiting for you to ask. <laughs> they're going to say, fine, 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 fine. I don't care if it takes a hundred fines. You keep asking for them to share your feelings so that eventually when they share their feelings, you're helping them to understand that's what relationships are. And let me say, why don't you express your feelings? If they ask you, how's your day or how's work, don't you say, fine, fine. My girls this week, I, I golfed on Friday and they came out and they said, Dad, how was the golfing? And I wanted to just say, it was amazing. But I said, it was so great. We shot 12 under. Dad hit some putts and everything. And eventually they're like, oh, okay. And then, you know, they're like a feeling overload. I'm done. Another thing you have to model is not only to try to get the feelings out of them, but also to model that when a relationship gets bruised or broken, you can do something about it. Jennifer and I, before we had children, we decided, we read a lot of books, and we decided that we weren't going to hide our discussions, capital D, from them. Now, there are some times in which you have to do something behind closed doors or later at night, but... Most of the time, you can have your discussions, capital D, in front of your kids. Don't hide it from them. Because sometimes, marriage requires discussions if you want to keep it going down the right way. I don't always want them to be, you know, growing up in this bubble world thinking that, you know what, mom and dad have such a great relationship. It's like love and kisses and sweet nothings all the time. I want them to realize that sometimes, you know, things have to be said if you want the marriage to grow with a capital D for discussion. I want them to know that in all relationships, that when rough waters hit, when there are bruises, there are breakdowns, that the way you handle it 
is not by going into the corner and getting mad and pouting and throwing stuff or, you know, getting on Facebook and talking about how horrible they are or gossiping behind someone's back. The best thing to do is to deal with conflict resolution the way that Jesus told us to do it. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus said this, If your brother or your sister hurts you, in other words, a friend of you hurts you, go and tell them. Work it out between the two of you. If they listen, you've made a friend. You've healed a relationship. This is where you come together and you have these capital D discussions. And you sit down so that you can honestly talk about the relationship and lead it towards restoration. And folks, I'm telling you, when you do this, they become better in their relationships. And when they start dating, they don't pick the jerks. They don't stay with the jerks. They pick people who understand how to deal with conflicts. And hopefully, eventually, they pick someone to marry who can have healthy discussions. Last thing, most important, the ability to lay a spiritual foundation for your children. You've got to build a spiritual foundation and lay it down for your children. Let me say this as emphatically as I know how to say it, folks. You can do the top three right and you don't do this one and it makes no difference whatsoever. Because there has to be some foundation that they can build upon. So many times I'll be with parents and uh, especially when they're just kind of, you know, figuring out anything that God even exists and and they'll say, well, we want to be open-minded parents. And I'll say, well, tell me about that a little bit more. What's that mean? Open-minded. In other words, we're not going to indoctrinate our children. We're just going to allow them to come up with their own conclusions. No parental bias whatsoever. Now, on the surface, that sounds great, doesn't it? There's only one flaw to that kind of thinking. The fact is the kid is going to grow up in a world in which it is, there are values everywhere. There is no such thing as a value-free environment. In other words, even if you decide that you're going to parent, and I'm not going to influence them spiritually, they're going to be bombarded every single day with television and uh, computers and friends telling them what values they should have. There'll be values that deal with morality, sexuality, money, pleasure, love, hate. All these values will hit there. Then when your little daughter goes to play with the neighborhood kids, they'll tell them what is right and what is wrong. That's a value. And then when they go to school and they teach evolution and safe sex, those are values. There is no such thing as a value-free environment. So the real question is, who are you going to allow your, your children, what impression are you going to allow, what value are you going to allow them to have? And are you going to give them the values or are you going to let someone else? I mean, when they come up and they ask the question, where did I come from? And where am I going to go when I die? These questions, what is the answer you're going to give them? Who's going to answer? Who determines what is right and what is wrong? What's the question? What's the answer? Who's going to answer? What is the meaning and purpose of life? Who's going to answer the question? What answers are you going to give? Parents, you're not raising healthy children if you neglect the responsibility to lay a spiritual foundation for them. Now, the Bible never advocates that we should be militaristic in this. I mean, I've seen those parents before. Uh, a buddy of mine, we have... Uh, you know, breakfast regularly, and he talks about how in the tradition that he was raised in, it was very strict and stringent, and you had to memorize so many scriptures and all of this, and even though their internal world might be messed up, they knew a lot about the Bible, they just didn't know how to love anybody. And so I'm not talking about that. And there can be this rigidity that brings resentment that kids are like, I'm not going to do the church thing or the God thing when I get older, because it was just crammed down my head. In fact, one of the scripture verses that talks about putting spiritual value to children, God comes and He says, here's the 
here's the greatest commandments. Love me, love other people, and now I'm going to just ask you to share that with your kids. The Scripture says this. Get them, these love commandments inside of you, and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street, or talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Before summer started, my reading plan has been in the Old Testament this whole year, and I was in Deuteronomy, and I read this passage of Scripture, and I was just prompted by the Spirit that we needed to put some Scriptures up in our kitchen. And so we got the kids' art paper out, and they kind of did some art stuff, and then we picked out three verses. Here they are. Here's the first one. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. Ephesians 4.32. And then I let them take tape and put them right on our kitchen cabinet. And Jennifer wasn't happy, but I didn't care because we were going to put it up. And uh, then Jennifer goes, Shiloh's only four. I'm like, she can do it. She couldn't do it. All she got was be kind and compassionate to one another. You know, if she could do that for the rest of her life, that's all she would need. Here's the next verse. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Matthew 7, 12. Why? Because sometimes Jordan and Shiloh want to kill each other. They don't want to do what this says. They just want to get revenge. So we say, no, do to others what you want. And we'll sit around and we'll talk about it at breakfast or at dinner. Here's the next verse. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Philippians 2, 14. They've memorized both of these. In fact, my four-year-old has already got an interpretation of this. This is how she says it. Do everything without complaining or whining. She already knows. And we don't do it. We don't have them like, okay, memorize that. Okay, tell me what. No. We go, hey, what's that mean? Let's talk about it. And they have memorized them, but it's not because, you know, we're like forcing them to memorize the Scripture. We're just saying... We think this will help your life better. A couple of weeks ago, we were on vacation. We're out in the ocean. And uh, we're on our boogie boards, Jordan and I. And Jordan, she's heard this enough. She goes, Dad, we're going to catch some sick waves. And I'm like, okay. And so we're out there, and we're just by each other. And I said, you know what the Bible says about the ocean? She goes, no. I said, it says that God loves you to the deepest part of the ocean. What do you think about that? She's like, that's awesome. Use what's around you. Another time I remember we walked out and uh, there were stars just like all over the place. And we just stopped in our driveway and Jen was with me, and we were hearing the girls. I'm like, hey, let's stop and look at the stars. And we looked at the stars, and Jennifer goes, you know, God knows where every one of those stars are. He knows exactly. And you know what? You're God's star. One of the proudest moments of my life. You're God's star. He always knows where you're at. You also got to be with your children in moments when you don't do things so great. A year ago, we were driving on vacation. I was going a little bit too fast. The police officer pulls me over. The lights are in back. And believe me, I could have gone through, you know, I don't think uh, I really was speeding. He was tricking me. All right, you kids, which one of you were messing around with me, you know? Made me go too fast. Now, I've had those thoughts in my head many times before, okay? But all of a sudden, I hear this from the back seat. Dad, why is the police a man drive or why is the police a man stopping you? And I said, Well, your mom was putting on makeup in the car. <laughs> no, I actually said. And every once in a while we'll be in the car and, and, and Jordan Jordan's like my helper. She'll go, Dad? Watch your speed. I go, ah. Hey, Jordan, thanks. I appreciate that. See what that scripture in Deuteronomy says. Wherever you're at, 
gives you an opportunity to share those things. And I hope the you version this week, you'll take those parental things and you'll put some of these things uh, into place. So let me just say one last thing. We'll close. Take advantage of your church. We want you to take advantage of it. We have jar kids up there, not as a babysitting service, but so that your kids would actually have some values placed into them. I'm amazed when my girls come home and they have this little paper and they tell me about what they've learned. Use it and be consistent. Don't sleep in on a particular morning. Don't try something else. We have two celebrations now. If you've got somewhere to go, come to the 9 o'clock. But don't take away from them because it just throws them off when there isn't consistent values being placed into them. And our middle school and our high school ministry, impact and outlet, involve yourself in them. Well, this is the way we're going to conclude tonight. I'm going to invite, uh, or this afternoon, uh, is I'm going to invite our uh, prayer team to come up. And if there's one of these four areas that you're like, you know what, I'm struggling in that. Maybe it's self-esteem, giving them competence, relational skills, a spiritual foundation. I just want to invite you to come up and uh, someone will be here to pray with you. And they're just going to ask you a couple of questions. The first question is, what is your name? So you guys all got that one. And then the second one is, what parenting area would you like prayer for? And then they'll pray for you right then. Uh, And I'll be the first one. I'll be the guinea pig. I'll go over here and I have an area that I need. So let's stand for closing prayer and then you're out of here. Sorry we went over a little bit today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you are a wonderful parent to us. And you are slow to anger. And you are abounding in love. You challenge us to use our gifts. And I pray that you would give courage to every parent, grandparent, soon-to-be parent, to raise their children in a healthy way using these four things for your sake, for our sake, and most of all, for our children's sake. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week.